Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be discussing the second episode of the second season of The White Lotus, an episode called Italian Dream. Uh, first thing I was going to say, Sona, is I watched this movie, Olivia Wilde's second directorial effort. The first one was Booksmart, which I thought was very fun. You saw that one, right? Love that. Yeah, me too. And uh, now she made this kind of thriller, psychological thriller called Don't Worry, Worry, Darling, which had a lot of controversy in the press. Something I haven't really gotten into because I would like to parse that story out because I find it so bananas the way the media went bananas for this story when it really doesn't play into the movie at all. Anyway, I think there's a lot to talk there to, about there in the context of the way that the story was covered, but also the film, which turned into a hit, by the way. I mean, I guess part of this, the the two parts of it were, I guess, it created enough noise where people knew the movie was coming out. And second of all, the audience word of mouth wasn't great. It's not like anyone gave it like an A plus score, but I think it got like B's and B pluses on most of the audience tracking, which was much more enthusiastic than the critical <laughs> response was to it. So it is now available on HBO Max. Anybody out there who has been curious to check out this movie, I would say, check it out as of Monday when I'm recording this. It's already available on HBO Max. And uh, Sona, yeah, if you want to check it out this week, maybe we can talk about it next week. Sounds good. Okay. I love a psychological thriller. I would say that it works really, really well. Florence Pugh is great. Like, I mean, really one of her best performances. And that's saying a lot because she's a really great performer, maybe one of the best actresses of her generation. But man, there's a twist. <laughs> I can't wait to have that conversation with you. So we will have a spoiler mm -hmm. conversation next week because that twist is like, I think it's like make or break for that movie across the board. <laughs> so that's mm -hmm. what's, I know you like a twist too, but we're very we curious to get your reaction to this twist. <laughs> Before we get into that, uh, did you have any other recommendations? Uh, you know, I actually did not watch White Lotus until about, 1030 because I was busy watching the premiere of Family Karma on Bravo. Whoa. <laughs> Family Karma. Yes, which Tell is a reality show about a, uh, a bunch of Indian friends in Miami. Oh, wow. And I have to tell you, I love this show. I actually was thinking about, you know, that one review we have that called us TV snobs. And I thought, <laughs> yeah. you know, I don't think they know about my 90 Day Fiance habit. Never mind <laughs> my Bravo reality shows. This one, I have to say, like, if you have maxed out on The Real Housewives and Below Deck, like, this is just such a sweet, pure hearted reality show. Obviously, there's a draw for me because it's about Indian people in the U.S. and the cross-cultural thing, but um, it's really fun and the people they feature are really fun and it doesn't have that mean-spiritedness that a lot of reality shows have or the um, drama for the sake of drama. It feels like you're just following this bunch of friends through their life. So I actually prioritize watching the premiere of Family Karma over White Lotus because I was so excited about it. For anyone looking for just a fun reality show, I would actually highly recommend it. I mean, I think that what you're describing would probably appeal to a lot of people who do watch The White Lotus. So I think that's a good uh, good recommendation. Yeah, and it's, it's in season three, so they're doing something oh, wow. right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and anybody, by the way, considering how many shows come out and seem to make a dent in the popular culture and then don't even get renewed. I mean, the fact that it's back again must mean something. right? So, Yeah, it's really fun, I have to say. Speaking of really fun, I thought, and I mean, we'll break down the episode itself, but I thought this was a lot of fun. This episode of White Lotus was a lot of fun for me once again. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I'm really enjoying this so far. 
I have many questions for you here, and I'm going to go we'll go go through the plot in chronological order mostly, and then ask you those questions. Okay, wait. I need yeah. to say something up yes. front because I don't want to forget to say it because I yeah. forgot to say it last week. Yeah. And this week it came back to me because there's some discussion of Venice, and we're always looking for symbolism behind names and titles. Oh yeah, yeah. And I just wanted to put a marker down that Portia is a character in The Merchant of Venice. And I think she is the judge. And I thought that would be kind of irrelevant last week because they're not in Venice. But then there was discussion of Venice. And then that brought me back to this idea of Portia and whether there's any significance to her name. So I just wanted to say that before I forgot. Now we can move on. I think there's a lot of symbolism in these names here. And I don't know how exactly they correlate. But I do agree that we probably do need to, you know, we've done that sometimes in other of ones of our recaps, I think names are going to matter here. At one point here in this episode, we, we bring up the story of uh, Hades and Persephone, right? Which is, mm-hmm. um, you know, very symbolic, obviously. But I'm curious to know if there's going to be even more of that. And we're just not, or I'm not tuning into it yet. But maybe something to put a pin in all of that to think yes. about these people's names symbolically. We start by Ethan. He wakes up. He goes for his early morning jog. What an amazing place to jog. I'm not a good oh, jogger. The view. Oh, my but what goodness. a view. Yeah. This reminds me of not jogging. I'm incapable of jogging, especially at this point in my life. But I remember being on, um, I can't remember the name of the island, the volcanic island off the coast of Greece, going for a hike early in the morning at sunrise and just the most amazing sunrises and sunsets. And it just reminds me of that, you know, same thing, like having this kind of what do you said, like villas built onto the side of this mountain and just this incredible mm-hmm. view at sunrise. But anyway, it just reminded me of that and just an incredible, beautiful place to to visit, I'm sure. Or to live. People live there too. Mm-hmm. So interestingly, we see this is going to be a theme throughout the whole entire episode. We see that Daphne and Cam are cuddling. Meanwhile, Harper is waking up alone because Ethan's got his own thing going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something I missed, by the way, I rewatched the first episode to get that conversation about how many bodies there were, et cetera. And I'm going to save that for the end of the episode because I want to get your list of maybe we'll do this every week. Like who's most likely to die? (laughs) Who's most likely to kill somebody by the end of, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe have like a running tally of our guesses. I did notice when I rewatched that opening sequence that when we see the boat arrive, it's hard to even see it because it's kind of like blue on blue. But faintly in the upper left hand corner, it has the word one. So I guess that's the first day of this, I guess, seven days, right? It's one week. Wow. I had not noticed that at all. Okay. But I did not. And maybe I missed it because it was so faint. I didn't even see it until the second time around. I did not see a two anywhere in this. Right. Mm-hmm. But, but maybe I missed it again. I, I didn't see it until the until I rewatched. Hmm. Anyway. So. so then we see Tanya waking up. Greg seems very disturbed. And here's another thing that I need to get your read on multiple times. Did you get any read on Greg at this moment? Because I, my theory of what's going on with Greg has changed multiple times just in this one episode. But what did you make of that moment where Tanya wakes up and Greg is just kind of staring into the middle distance there, frozen in bed? You know, for a second, and I don't know why I thought this, I thought we haven't revisited this idea of his illness and maybe Mm -hmm. the illness is back and he doesn't want to tell her. And we thought it was something involving Mm -hmm. another woman, but maybe he's really trying to cover up something about his health. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought the exact same thing, but like I said, that theory changed quite a few times in this particular right. episode. <laughs> but I thought the exact same thing. I'm like, he's sick again. That's who he's been talking to. He's hiding this from her exactly. And especially doesn't want to disturb her on this honey or this uh, romantic getaway. And maybe we've been misjudging him, right? And I felt 100% the same way as you did. <laughs> but that all changed before the end of the episode was over. 
Meanwhile, Valentina shows up to work and she's like, no dilly dallying. As soon as she shows up, she doesn't want anybody. Once again, by the way, this is something that's so feels like every time I've been on vacation in Europe, in the US, you know, maybe in the back room, they're all gossiping about the tourists. But I feel like you don't see it like out in the public. Whereas when I'm like in Portugal, for example, because I speak Portuguese, that I love having like the staff just right in the open, like talking about the people <laughs> who are presently there. And mm -hmm. they just assume they don't speak Portuguese, but I'm like listening on all the gossip. Mm -hmm. And I like that. It just reminds me of all my trips to Europe. <laughs> mm -hmm. I guess, you know, in the U.S., since everybody's speaking English, you have to do that behind closed doors, I would assume. Fair point. Well, you know, just reflecting on that, there is this idea we have in New York that sometimes, especially in the nail salons, oh, yes. where a lot of oh, people God, speak yes. other languages, mm -hmm. that they yeah. are talking about you just inches from your face. <laughs> but, oh. but we don't know. It's just, you know, our own neuroses. <laughs> what if? <laughs> what, I can't remember what movie or show it was where exactly that happened, where there was like some Korean uh, women. I think Seinfeld had a plot about that. Oh, um, she could listen in on what she was saying. Yes, she, she brought yeah. someone with her, a ringer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it was Seinfeld. Yeah, that's at least one reference to it. I like when Tanya arrives at breakfast, once again, on that beautiful patio there. She says, what an incredible view. I wonder if anyone's ever jumped off of here. Mm -hmm. And she also mentions that she should have brought her roller skates. I'm not sure if she would do well in roller skates, considering her uh, oh my goodness. Vespa ride later in this episode. Of course, Portia's there once again, keeps running into these folks. She's just trying to have breakfast. She has to grab her lunch and run off, but she runs into Albie again. Also at breakfast, we see that Harper, she goes to the buffet. She's about to sit down. This is actually a very funny moment. I like Aubrey Plaza's performance here where she gets waved over by Cam and Daphne. And there's like a moment where she almost puts down, like she almost sits at the other table. She just kind of looks at the table and then she decides, I guess her better judgment. She's like, okay, I'll sit with them. But that would be like a really douchey move. To like basically called over and still just sit down by yourself anyway. But she does I'm contemplate. I'm good here, thanks. She does contemplate it just for a second. But luckily she does, you know, try to do like the not completely antisocial thing to actually sit down with them. I want to get your take on this. Just specifically in this episode, not so much in the last one, Cam to me is as if this is the version of the Jake Lacey character in the previous season of the show, how that character, the Jake Lacey character, he says that there's the type of woman that he's supposed to be with. And he likes that Alessandra Daddario is not that type of woman. Mm -hmm. And I want to get your take on this. Do you feel like this is like, imagine that type of guy, that Jake Lacey character with the type of woman that, you know, the stereotypical type of woman that he would end up with. Is that this version of it here versus what we saw in the last season? Do you get that read at all? Or, or how do you feel about it? We don't know much about Daphne's background yet, right? But I do think, assuming that she comes from a similar socioeconomic status and she's not new to having this type of money, I still feel what little we've seen about her character seems very sweet and very genuine. And I would think that when we think of the type of person you'd expect that type of guy to end up with, it's more someone elitist and with an attitude and kind of pretentious. And I don't really get that from her. She seems very genuine to me. Oh, yeah. I didn't mean that as a derogatory statement against her, that if anything, I meant the opposite, where Jake Lacey may be looking for this person that supposedly isn't the stereotypical match in that first season which is maybe where they have an unsuccessful marriage as opposed to Cam and Daphne, which really, and once again, not in a derogatory way, they just seem to be a very good pair for each other. 
Yeah, they seem very happy. Maybe where you and I are just connecting here is I think, assuming that she is from that same status and everything else, um, this sweetness and genuine nature that I see in her so far is probably not typical of a, that woman that checks all those oh, boxes. See what you're saying. Yes, I, yeah, <laughs> I might agree with that. Yeah, I think I might agree with that. So he might have found himself a jab in that um, <laughs> true, true. she doesn't have the usual snobbiness, it seems. The other theory of the case I was thinking about is that this is Alessandra Daddario's character from season one years later after being in the marriage and kind of right. adapting to it. But mm -hmm. I don't see that either because I would figure that she would at least make the pretense of like following the news <laughs> and trying to be yes. somewhat the version yes. of the person she was. Well read she, and right? yes. Exactly. So then Albie was still having breakfast with Portia. The other Degrasso men show up. <laughs> the grandpa just desperately wants to get into this with this woman around, this random woman around, the, the, into the, <laughs> the rupture in the family. But I do think this is a good idea, by the way, even though he's a little creepy about it, but the idea of saying like, oh, you know, we should have a beautiful woman follow us around. Despite the way he says it, I actually think this is a great idea. I, I took a note of this while I was watching it, that I always think about the time that you guys came and visited with me in Portugal with my family. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, fun. that was like the best experience I've had with my family around because <laughs> when, it's, <laughs> when it's just the family and you know, you can probably speak to this as well. You fall oh, into yeah. those same annoying dynamics. And then when there's strangers around, everyone's on their best behavior. Like, you know, you see the best <laughs> versions of everybody. So it's good to always bring a guest is my, my general <laughs> rule of thumb. Then we finally catch up with Lucia and Mia. I don't know if it's right at this moment or if it's later, but I love when they are walking around town and Lucia is going like, I'm going to save up my money and not buy that dress. I want to buy the entire store and then I want to fire that bitch. Uh -huh. <laughs> and they're like waving at her, <laughs> speaking to her in English, insulting her in English. Mia tells her about, oh, I'm uncomfortable going back to the resort because I threw the drink in <laughs> that guy's face. And I love Lucia being like, what about my reputation? Like her reputation. <laughs> I, I love that reversal of what about my reputation as it being like, wait, wait, like they think I'm a prostitute. Don't ruin that reputation. <laughs> and I love Mia's reaction is just like, what about your reputation? <laughs> the two very different perspectives. But she's also really pushing it with Dom so that when the, the Grasso men, along with Portia, are heading out, they like kind of call him over. They're like, can you hook us up with hanging out inside the uh, uh, the resort? And this is incredible. Valentina's reaction to having him <laughs> try to bring them in. Mm -hmm. She like tries to throw all these hurdles in the way, being like, <laughs> we have to set up an extra bed. And he's like, well, you don't need an extra bed. And he's just like, oh, you're all sleeping in one bed, and he's, <laughs> which is possibly true. But he's like saying like, no, like no one's sleeping here. They're locals. They're my local friends. <laughs> this whole interaction is hilarious. And I especially I love when he finally leaves. And Lucia basically says, hey, look, you know, you guys only have jobs because of girls like us. Hotels mm -hmm. were made <laughs> to make money off the backs of girls like us. Valentina throws the card in her face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I skipped a big thing here, by the way. In the meantime, Cam and Harper and Daphne, you know, going back to that conversation, they're all having breakfast together. And Harper kind of wants this to end. She's like, I'm going to go back to my room and have my breakfast there. They're like, oh, we're almost done here, too. So we'll let's go, go together. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and even before that, I, one more thing I totally skipped in that whole entire digression we had on the couples again was uh, Cam's temper. So we see him lose his temper. And I, do you think they're seeding something here 
in the fact that like he seems like a calm guy, but when he loses it, he really loses it. Do you think that there's legitimately foreshadowing something bad that's going to happen in the future? Or do you think this is kind of like what happened in White Lotus the first season where it seems like every single episode they would like drop a little nugget in there to think like, well, maybe this guy's going to kill somebody. You know, like it was almost like they were just kind of dropping clues, which really didn't pay off. It was all kind of like little red herrings to keep us engaged. What was your read on that camp's temper digression? I didn't think it through so much in the moment. I saw it as just like building out his character more and their relationship more. But yes, it could be going towards like, and then when he snaps, he murders someone. It could <laughs> <Right>. be. <laughs> and the reason, I, only reason I call that out is because it could legitimately be, you know, what they're setting up. But I feel like in the first season of the show, almost every single episode, they would leave something as if like this person's going to die, you know, and it was all mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. all red herrings for the ending. Right? Mm-hmm. The ending came out of nowhere. But I guess it's just a way to like, so us to play along as audience members. Oh, and of course, like I mentioned, they're heading back to their rooms. But who's back up at their room? Ethan has come back <laughs> from his run with his endorphins. And this I thought was really, really interesting. So he is, you know, basically, you know, having a post-workout masturbation session when she walks in. And uh, what is up with his passive aggressive withholding of sex? Like he literally is you know, ready to go at that moment. And she, he's literally like, no, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> it's more inconvenient at that point to not have sex. Than have sex. It's really bizarre. And, but it's so intentional, right? He is multiple times. He is passively aggressively withholding sex from her this episode. And what did you think that means? That's a good question, especially in connection with the whole conversation about trying to have kids and how hard Mm -hmm, they're trying. mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. One thing that I noticed about this particular scene is that I thought it did add a lot of dimension to her character that Mm -hmm. the way she has been portrayed as like very uptight and she even describes herself this way, right? At some point, you'd think she'd be the type of person that would flip out over this, right? of walking in on this and his reaction and all of it. And so she just kind of rolled with it. Right. Um, so I kind of was impressed that like we're seeing other sides to her that are not necessarily what you would expect. But yeah, what is up with this? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I agree with you. Like at that point, isn't that the perfect set of circumstances? Yeah. She's not upset about it. Right. She's she's happy to roll with it. So why not? <laughs> she's like, hey, looks like you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah. So most of the work is done. Yeah, I found the whole thing very strange. He's obviously being, you know, it's it's a passive aggressive move. And I do have a theory that I came up with towards the end of the episode, but I'm going to save it because I think we have to spend some time on there. Another thing that's drawn out as a theme here, really importantly across this entire episode, I think, is what you were talking about with Harper. I think she's starting to feel like more and more so over the course of this episode that like it's her fault. She is being a stick in the mud and she feels like she's the outside she's on the outside mm-hmm. looking in again mm-hmm. and she's like what is happening <laughs> like you know and uh, she's starting to second guess herself i don't know if she should be second guessing herself but i think that that is part of the dynamic here one thing that was really interesting to me i don't think it was in this scene i think it was later the conversation or maybe it was actually the conversation that he has with her about how she feels threatened by other people yes mm-hmm. I thought was <laughs> this like is very funny, by the way, maybe laugh out loud. If you never fight, then your relationship is not real. It's like, yeah, we fight, we bicker, but that's because we talk about everything. You know, we're honest. They act like they're on their honeymoon. They're all over each other, but it's bogus. It's not real. You always do this with certain people. 
It's like you have to find them deficient in some way compared to you. What? It's like, I don't know, maybe it's a way of soothing yourself when you feel threatened or something. I'm not threatened by them. Like, you never do this with Carmen. Carmen, our housekeeper? You're always like, oh my god, I love Carmen, she's so sweet. She is so sweet, she's a sweet old lady. But like, you're not threatened by her, so you don't see any of the other stuff. Oh, in the comparison to the cleaning lady. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> of all the, I mean, how many people does she have? Other Carmen, friendships? the housekeeper. <laughs> she is a nice old lady. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I thought, really interesting conversation about the way your partner sees you, yes, and understands you and has insight into you in a way that other people don't. And her, again, though, her reaction to being called out on it was not what I would expect. She's a little defensive, but she's not yep. like, no, this is crazy. You've lost your mind. Why would you say this about me? Like, she actually seems to take it in yeah, and exactly. think about it. Yeah. You know, so I really feel like they did a lot with portraying her as like more three-dimensional as far as like how introspective she can be. I think there's a lot unsaid in this relationship. And there yeah. are times yes. that mm -hmm. I think like, actually, they understand each other very well yes. and mm -hmm. they're a good pairing. And right. there are other times that I'm like, these two are so disconnected yeah. and I can't decide where I land on this, actually. I have to say, I will just call it out now, but I think what is so great about this show, even more so than I would say in season one, and maybe just specifically in this episode, I feel personally, like in every single interaction, in every single dynamic in this whole episode of show, I have been the person on the receiving end of the conversation and the person on the you know speaking side of the conversation over and over again like i love that scene in the bathroom where you know they, it starts in this you know awkward sexual situation but then like she kind of feels like she's losing him so she tries to win him back with this like negging on the other couple right mm -hmm. and and i've been on that situation too where the work dynamic or something you don't have like any other thing to connect with your coworker on so you kind of like rebuild the bond by saying like well you know i can't stand when that person always talks up during the meeting or whatever right so there's mm -hmm. always this kind of like you're trying to find like a negative connection to the person if you can't get a positive connection to the person and then of course that's what leads to by the way, this is not the first time that he's judgmental on her. They have an interesting dynamic. Once again, I've seen this dynamic many times before. In front of Cam and Daphne, the two, uh, Ethan and Harper, are like kind of like, you don't read the news. He's kind of like on Harper's side, right? Yes. But then behind closed doors, he piles on Harper. So it's it's interesting that the way this uh, dynamic is playing out. And he's definitely being passively you know, aggressive towards her. Even though like when he does, she asks, you know, are we good? Are we, you know, I love you. Are, are we, do we have a good relationship? He does seem very earnest when he says, I do love you. And he does think that they have a good relationship. So, but do you think they have a good relationship? Where are you on that? That's what I can't decide. And I just am like circling around and around on that. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are times that I feel like they're on the same page. And then there are other times and I, you know what? I think, as you said, like, I think this is all due to him. I think she is all in on this relationship yep. and wants it to work and, you know, feels that it does work. And I think he's very withholding and whether sex, communication, whatever it may be, it, it's hard to know what he's really thinking or feeling. He's the one that I have the hardest time getting a read on so far. In general, by the way, with Daphne and Cam, I've been pretty much on your side that they really don't do anything that I find annoying to me. <laughs> but the one time that I really rubbed me the wrong way in this particular episode 
was when they were talking about all the places they've traveled to. Oh, you have to go to Venice. You have to do this. You have to do that. <laughs> and he goes, by the way, where did you guys go on your honeymoon? And she says, we went to Puerto Rico to see my family. And she goes, it's mm-hmm. so beautiful there. You guys can stay at my family with my family in San Juan if you ever go there. And you could just tell that they're like, A, like we have never ever thought of ever going to Puerto Rico. <laughs> yes, which is bizarre to me. I mean, Puerto <laughs> right. Rico is awesome, but okay. <laughs> You know, they, they'll fly around the world, to, but they won't fly out to Puerto Rico. They don't even know that it's not a state. It's a, what do they call it? A territory? What is that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love the fact when she's like, yeah, you can even stay with my family, which by the way, if you're real friends with somebody, we've had that experience in the past. When someone says, hey, you can stay with my family while you're here. That's like, great. What an opportunity to go visit mm-hmm. a new place. And they're like, oh yeah, thanks. Yeah. We'll think about it. <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of like, yeah, showing their, uh, cultural it's a little ignorance. bit of snobbiness yes. but like why yes. would we go to puerto rico when if we wanted to be at the beach or whatever we do something like this we go to sicily you know if we wanted to see the water and all that earlier in the day tanya at that very funny breakfast meeting with greg she says this is my perfect sicilian day this is the day she wants my perfect italian dream she has this whole entire scenario where she's riding on a vespa on the back of her vespa she looks like oh what's that italian actress from la dolce vita i forget now it was um, Monica Vitti. So she has this whole entire fantasy. And Greg says, sure, whatever you yeah. want. There's just this moment where she just like smiles at him. And I was like, oh, how sweet. She just seems like she's still just this little girl, this damaged little girl. And we find out a little more about her very disturbing backstory. We know she had this very codependent, toxic relationship with her mom. But we find out from Portia later on that she may have been abused by her dad. So this is a very creepy dynamic. No wonder she's in this like arrested development. Mm-hmm. But they do decide to go on that trip. And oh my God, she, first of all, Valentina is very worried about them dying on this Vespa. I was worried about them dying <laughs> So too. was I, so was I. I'm like, they're not going to kill her off. She's she's too uh, part, big of the part of the show. But I love when she goes, who do I look like? Do I look like a Monica Vitti? Mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, Peppa Pig. <laughs> oh God, Peppa Pig. By the way, on the Vespa trip, that reminded me of being in St. Mark's. Where the traffic is opposite, my God, I must have almost died a hundred times. I literally <laughs> would pull in front of an 18-wheeler coming right at me, and I'm like, never got acclimated to driving in the opposite direction of the road. But anyway, they they survive. <laughs> they do survive. We return to, once again, this, you know, kind of the core dynamic, I think, in this episode, which is the Harper, Ethan, Cam, and Daphne. They try to make excuses for, their, they're not just these, you know, entitled monsters. Daphne sometimes goes on a donation spree when or to charities when she's like scrolling through her social media feeds and she's been drinking a little too much (laughs) That's Mm -hmm. that's how she makes up for her entitlement but more importantly is we see at some point that harper decides to go for a swim cam swims over to her like grabs her leg while she's like kind of by herself in the water and this is an interesting dynamic because cam starts saying i want you to like me and she says, I like you. I mean, I like both of you. So it's like kind of, she's getting uncomfortable. And it kind of goes back to that idea. You mentioned that you think that they might be, there might be a hookup here before the end of the show. And I honestly am starting to think more and more so that that is po- a possibility. But what did you make about the dynamic here when they're swimming together? Definitely, I think in his mind, he's screwing with her a little bit, right? Like yeah. he feels like he has the power in this dynamic. And I think that was illustrated in the last episode too, when he changes in front of her. Yeah. And he's like kind of having fun watching her squirm a little bit, you know, to what end remains to be seen. 
you know what I think. Um, (laughs) But although by the end of this, I thought maybe it's like a whole partner swap situation. But anyway, (laughs) um, (laughs) she answered the exact same way I would have answered if someone said that to me. I like you both. I know you have a wife. She's right over there. Act appropriately. (laughs) So yeah, that was my read on it. Did you see the scenes for next week? I think that's what made me think something about it. And I can't even put my finger on exactly what, but something about it made me think it was just going to go fall swinging. Well, I mean, at that point next week, it looks like, first of all, the guys seem to be like in this like pissing contest to see who can play chicken against each other. So all this talk this week that when uh, Harper says, uh, is there some kind of passive aggressive dick measuring competition going on between the two of you? And it seems to be playing out next week. But more importantly, you see them later in the night when they're alone and it looks like they're trying to look for women to hook up with. But the girls seem to have already done that because they're in town and they pop a few uh, edibles edibles, and uh, they're like, you know, waving guys over from other tables. So, I mean, (laughs) like to your point, they're all going to at least be flirting aggressively next week. We'll see how far down the road they go. But then, like you said, if they open that, that pressure valve, then uh, what happens next? Like how far do they go? Right. Meanwhile, the DeGrasso men are out at the uh, amphitheater near the hotel Beautiful location, another amazing location. They're like, it's so old. (laughs) It's all so old. (laughs) Once again, Bert cannot let this story go. He's like saying, what did you do that was so bad? Come on, let's have this conversation. Conversation Dom does not want to have. And he brings up that metaphor saying like, hey, look, Hades, like emerged from the ground, (laughs) raped Persephone, took took her to hell. And Demeter, I always say Demeter, is it Demeter? I think it's Demeter. Yeah. So Demeter. Uh, forgave him. So, hey, what did you do? Couldn't have been that bad. <laughs> and I'm like, this didn't actually happen, by the way. This is a mythology. I know that was kind of the subtext is like, you understand it's mythology. <laughs> Speaking of mythology, in the opening credits, we see some of these old Italian myths being uh, played out. Like we actually see the the swan raping the woman, which is, uh, who, which was the, I forget which one of those stories is, <laughs> all these crazy stories, but you actually see some of these um, mytho- mythological stories playing out in the opening credits of the show. I don't know if we ever see Persephone with, and that's the other thing I guess is interesting. You know, we saw the story of the Moor who had his head cut off, and now we have the story of uh, Persephone and Hades. I wonder if we'll have more mythological connections too. Another thing to keep an eye for, let's put a pin in that too for next week to see if we see more of these mythological stories and if we could tie them in somehow into what's happening in the uh, in the episode. Speaking of people who have an excellent relationship with each other, <laughs> Mia and Lucia. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what a sweet couple they are. <laughs> <laughs> they have spent way too much money, by the way. Do you think that's going to bite them in the ass somewhere? Like when this bill comes up and I don't know who sees these you know, who sees the bill? I'm not sure if Abby is going to see this bill, but I guess at this point, she's pretty much out with um, Dom anyway. But uh, I don't think that that's going to look good when he has, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars of, you know. Um... They definitely spent a lot of money. I also feel like he has it though. So I think he would yeah. just be like mildly annoyed. Right. More about it is I think is the impropriety of it rather than the, uh, that I don't think he probably would care. Like if he's, you know, they probably spent thousands of dollars on this trip. The girls, even with all the clothes they bought, you know, for them, it's probably a fortune, but it's probably not a real fortune and it's not going to really bother him that much. It's not like he spent $100,000. And then we see that I was cringing here for a second. I was like, what if Mia can't actually sing? But she can sing. She goes, makes amends with that piano player. She goes, I'm sorry about yesterday. I'm not a prostitute. I'm actually a singer. And can you let me just sing one song? Nobody's even here. And she does a beautiful rendition. Mm-hmm.
She does have some crazy earrings on, though, by the way. Holy cow. Oh, my gosh. What were those starfish? Starfish. So strange. Oh. <laughs> of course, Portia and Albie end up in some random restaurant in town. And who shows up on the best one? Uh -huh. Of course. <laughs> She's so annoyed. I love her. I love when Greg is trying to take Tanya's helmet off and he can't get it off because she keeps like looking at them. So her head's like the wrong way she's like oh jaw she's a gape she's like i cannot believe she's here it's like tanya <laughs> get over it you're gonna run into each other it's not that big a town this is when greg drops the news that he has to fly out because he's still managing this land management business but we find out a couple of important things she was smart enough to get a prenup once again not able to get a read on greg at all at this moment at dinner i felt like he was being sincere with her being like look what do you expect you flake out with everybody. You, you, you know, you fire an assistant every week. Everything he's saying seems completely rational. And he seems sincere in saying it. But once again, I reversed myself again on him by the end of this episode. But in this moment, do you think that he was maybe telling the truth and being deceitful at the same time? Like, well, how did you read this whole interaction? Yeah. So just to clarify as a precursor, yeah. Bureau of Land Management, I think that's something we don't have it out here in the metro, New York City metropolitan area, or at least right. I've never heard of it. But out West, I heard it a lot when I was in Utah. It's like the governmental organization that owns certain plots of land. Right. This is like a government job. So it right, seems right. strange. Things I feel like in government jobs are very planned out in right. advance. Like you don't really have a sudden crisis like this as right. a person with a husband that works in the city government. Like it's very predictable. It can be very stressful. Right. But I don't think it takes you off guard that much. The right. way this seemed to, he's portraying it as like, this got dropped in my lap. I do think he's making that part up. I think that's right. insincere. Right. right. But the feelings about it, I mean, I'd be kind of annoyed if someone that's worth half a billion dollars made me sign a prenup saying I got nothing. Like, did she really do that? I mean, what's a million or two to her? And that would be, he would be able to take care of himself for the rest of his life. I don't know why she would do that. I mean, I, I guess I do know why she would do that. And people who have a lot of trauma do stuff like that. Yes, the reasoning behind it felt very sincere, that right. this is a feeling that he has, that he could be adrift if this relationship falls apart. And she is flaky like that. But I, the whole premise, I think, is fake. Yeah, I agree with all that. And like you said, same thing. You know, the, this whole idea, when he was like saying that I had this emergency meeting I have to attend, I was thinking... You know, maybe he, with her money, some seed money or something, had started some kind of construction business or something on his own. The idea of him being like, what, he's going to, he he's the only one who can do this government meeting? Like, and he can't even do it remotely? Like, what are you talking about? Like, what's the emergency? That doesn't make any sense at all. But I never believed that from the beginning. But I thought he was hiding maybe something else, like his health condition or something. And, uh, but of course, we think maybe there's something more going on here by the end. Meanwhile, back to our core dynamic here for this episode, I think at least, which is, you know, Harper, Ethan, Daphne, and Cam. A couple of very important things happen. We find out about a very difficult birth that Daphne experienced. And there's a real 
scene of uh, emotion here between the two of them. And you see, I think Harper is once again, even more annoyed with herself because she starts to think like, maybe I have misjudged these characters. Maybe I think that's Mm -hmm. how she's reading this scene. But the second thing that it made me think about is just childbirth in general, this awkward look that Ethan and Harper have like, oh yeah, we're trying to have kids. And it made me think, does Ethan really not want to have kids? I wonder that too. Maybe that's why he's withholding the sex, right? Yeah, I wonder that too. At first I was like, he's just being a dick. Like somehow he's just passively, aggressively like getting under her skin. And I'm not sure why. Maybe he regrets marrying her now that he's rich or something. But then I was like, oh, maybe it's this. Maybe it's the fact that, you know, now they're actually trying to have kids. They're probably not using any kind of birth control. And he's afraid of having a kid. I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all have at some point. At dinner, we see once again, Bert reprimanding Dom. He cannot let this go. And he's saying the problem you had was that you were sloppy. It wasn't the fact that you cheated on her because men cheat on women, according to his philosophy anyway, but you rubbed it in her face. And this made me think of, it's so funny because we have Michael Imperioli here, but like, this is exactly the conversation that happened in The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like literally Carmela goes, I know you cheat on me, but you had to shove it in my face. <laughs> it's like literally the same dynamic that played out there. Well, in fairness, I actually think this is a very common thing. Yes. Maybe I'm very cynical. But, um, you know, when all of this like Adam Levine stuff came out, which, you know, he says he never acted on it, but whatever. I mean, I'm not that interested in Adam Levine's personal life, but I feel like a certain type of person, in my mind, generally athletes and musicians, when you're in a relationship with them and they travel so much, I feel like, and maybe I am very cynical, that a lot of these couples have an understanding of like, things may happen. And as long as you don't throw it in my face, we're all just going to look the other way. But if you embarrass me, all hell is going to break loose. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you see that to your point, I think, especially with these public uh, couples, I feel like that's exactly what ends up happening, right? Even when you look at like Bill Gates uh, divorce, I feel like it's like when this thing becomes public, that it's like, that's when it's like kind of the the straw that broke the camel's back. It's like, it may be happening. I'll look the other way so much. But once I'm like publicly humiliated, <laughs> like right. I, I, I'm out. Right. So. right now you've broken the terms of the deal. Right. Exactly. Now, did Michael Imperioli's character have this agreement with his wife? That's a different question. Yes, that's a different question. <laughs> right. Exactly. And it's a different I have co- a feeling she would say no. <laughs> yes. And it's also, a, I think, a generational thing too, where it's like, you know, it, it, you, you hear it's here explicitly. Bert saying like, you know, my wife died last year. We were together for 53 years. And then she says to uh, his son, Dom, that, you know, about half the time, 25 years. And it's a different generation, right? And of course, we see this in three different uh, generations, very intentionally here. You see the way Bert perceives this. You see the way Dom perceives this as being like, I shouldn't have done it in the first place, not just kind of like I should have just done it behind her back and more, more cleverly, right? And then you see <laughs> Albie, which I think is a very interesting dynamic here as well, where Albie's like, you know, maybe an overcorrection of this. And maybe that's a critique of this current generation. But what did you take of all this? This I thought was a really fascinating conversation because I feel like I've had this conversation with women when I was much younger, where you see Albie is saying that he doesn't want to be like in competition with women. He wants to be a friend to women. But- he has this kind of perspective that I think a lot of young men do have that they're like, you know, women say they want the nice guy, but then when they have the nice guy, they, you know, kind of reject them. Meanwhile, she's kind of being like, you're taking things too seriously. And we saw some of this kind of 
dynamic in their very first meeting where she is kind of getting little digs in on him. And she does the same thing here. She goes, you know what? I just want to have fun. I'm here on vacation. I just want to have fun. So that's like an opening for him to kind of say, okay, well, have fun with me. And he doesn't right. take it there at all. He starts saying like, oh, so you just want a caveman. And she's like, you know what? At this point, I'll take a caveman. So he takes things way too far in the opposite direction. And then, of course, she uh, seems antagonized by this once again, although he's kind of getting his digs in. And then, of course, he gets his last little passive aggressive dig in by saying, you know what I'm attracted to? To wounded birds, birds, which in a mm-hmm. way is like now she can't say anything because if she's going to be like, you're calling me a wounded bird. It's like she's calling herself out. So now she has to kind of let it go. But it's a very weird passive aggressive <laughs> conversation they have there. But on both of their sides, they're both getting their little attacks. And in, in yeah, I mean, they're both clearly saying I would not want to be with someone like you. Right. But um, they are planning to hook, like they basically yeah. are planning to hook up and they're literally saying, I don't want to hook up with you. But by mm-hmm. the way, I've been in this situation when I was younger too. And this has definitely happened. So all of this stuff is very believable here in this particular episode. Yeah. Kids, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Kids. Exactly. Kids. Uh, and eventually they end up back at the hotel. And here's Albie once again. I cannot get a read on this guy. He goes in for the kiss. She's definitely open to more than a kiss. And he gives him this very chaste kiss on, and says, see you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, is that once again, him intentionally like leading her on? Or is this him just being like overly PC? Like, uh, w- what do you think the, the point of that scene is? I don't get the sense he's much of a player. Yes, I could be wrong. Absolutely, absolutely not. So yes, I, agree. Yeah. I don't think there's much that's calculated behind it. Um, <laughs> right. As far as like playing a long game of like, oh, I'm going to have her you know, thirsting over me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I think this is just like a miscalculation of what the vibe should be or could be. Like I'm saying, kids, like instead of saying, hey, I found someone to get along with in this beautiful location, we can enjoy these few days together and then see what happens. They want to overanalyze everything from the (laughs) get-go. I think, but I think that's more on his side of things because, and maybe in his defense, in his defense, he's, he does have this perspective of this moment where his dad's marriage is falling apart. Right. So maybe he is overly correcting because like, yeah, I mean, to your point, if they just like hooked up either they stay friends. Maybe they try to reconnect when they get back to the U.S. Maybe they never see each other again. Who cares? It's like mm-hmm. Asian. It's like, don't worry about it afterwards, right? It's like he has a certain rule book that he's playing by as if he like met someone on campus and he wants to like build it into a relationship. It's like, you're never going to see this girl again in five days. Mm-hmm. Like, like don't take everything so seriously. Oh, and, you know, to jump ahead, but in the scenes from next week, interestingly, you see that they're kissing at dinner, I think, again. This time it looks like they're having a little bit more like of an open mouth, passionate kiss, and her eyes pop open and she's eyeing, eyeballing some other dude. So that's... Uh, <laughs> oh, I so missed we'll, that. Oh, mm-hmm. so we'll see how that plays out next week. She wants to have fun. That's <laughs> what it comes down to. Yeah, listen, she thought she was on a working vacation. Yep. Now she's all of a sudden got all this time free. Why not? Make the most of it. But does she? I, you know, I forgot to mention that, but, you know, when we see Tanya, you know, take that news from Greg really, really badly oh, true, and true. storms yes. out and she eyeballs, heavily eyeballs, Portia. And by the way, I forgot to mention this to you. I did. It didn't seem important last week. Remember how I say that at the end, they have this featurette where people kind of interview each other as kind of in their characters. Like, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that conversation, when Portia's talking about herself, she's saying like, I have to be like this person's emotional support animal for the last like three or four days of my vacation. That's what she said in that interview. So now I have a feeling that mm-hmm. like all of a sudden with Greg out of the picture. Yeah. You know, no, Tanya that's is going to be 
hanging out with Portia 24-7, which is going to mess up any chance of yes. her hooking up with Albie or anybody else potentially. Yeah, I'm with you there. So we'll see how that plays out. Towards the end of the episode, we see that now Daphne and Cam are in their room together. And it's pretty funny. Earlier on, Harper had said, you think that I'm the only one who talks behind people's backs? They're probably, you know, sitting mm -hmm. in the room right now, making fun of me and calling me like a stick in the mud and this terrible person. And meanwhile, at that moment, we actually saw them where he was buying his wardrobe to replace the missing bag. Yes. And they were having a blast. Having the time of their lives. Yes. <laughs> right. But to their point, to, but to that point, we actually see Cam is talking about Harper in the room that night saying like, why did he marry her? Do you think he regrets marrying such a, such a loser or whatever he called her? So it seems like she is getting to him in some way. Oh, and this is what I was going to say about Cameron earlier. I've known people that are like real people pleasers. And I wonder if that's where Cameron's coming from. These people, sometimes it's like when people are just kind of like, I'll be polite, but I'm not going to do the whole like fawning over you and laughing at all your jokes. And, and sometimes people who need that kind of feedback. You start getting under their skins just by not adoring everything they do. And I wonder if Cameron is someone like that. That's what it's kind of, because you were reading it as maybe he's just keeps messing with her. Maybe that's part of it, but maybe in some way she's getting under his skin because she's not going with the flow, right? And he's expecting her to more so. Um, I understand your point. And I know that type of person because I wouldn't describe it as people pleasing though. Yeah. I think it's just the type of person that is used to being adored everywhere yes. they go. Mm -hmm. Often, I think maybe because you buy people things or whatever, but also maybe you're just a very charming person and mm -hmm. people always have fun when they're with you. And listen, I'm kind of married to a guy like that, right? <laughs> right. So, so I get it. And it can be very upsetting to them when someone just not <laughs> like They're not them. vibing with them. <laughs> not to get into the dynamic that I live with too much. But, um, <laughs> so I, I understand exactly what you're saying. But I don't think that's what's happening here with the changing in front of her and stuff. I, I that would be a terrible misread oh, yeah. of how to get on her good side. Oh, oh. I, 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 I think I'm reading two different things versus absolutely. That is like totally a manipulation that earlier, you know, getting undressed in front of her, as opposed to, I think like now where you're starting to see him be like, why isn't she responding the way I want her to? And by the way, she is internalizing this. So it, it is getting to her, but he's, yes. she's, not, she's not showing it in the way he wants. And it's starting yes. to bother him, I think. And then, of course, with, this is our second night. Who shows up at Dom's door? It's Mia and Lushi, mm -hmm. Lucia. And he's like, you know what? I think I have a sex addiction. I'm really trying to do better. Did you believe this at all? I did. Am I naive? <laughs> I think so too. I, I, I do. No, I, I agree because, you know, eventually when it's just like, oh, I have my friend here with me and all that other stuff. He's like, he can't turn it down. I do think at first he's kind of being like, you know what? After thinking about this all day long, maybe I do kind of feel like a shit. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. I mean, he, the reason I say, do you buy this at all? Do you think he said that to her wanting her to seduce him so that he wouldn't feel as bad is my point? Or do you think he really was going to be like, absolutely not. And if like, you know, Mia hadn't been there and everything else hadn't happened, you know, that he would have actually closed the door on her. Or do you think he's kind of being like, like, like the first night where he's like, I don't really want to talk. And then she has to do everything. Do you think he was just being like, I really can't let you into my room. Okay. If you really twist my arm, do you think it was half-hearted? I think he at least needed to say the words out loud so he <laughs> yes. can say, well, I said I didn't, you know, and I tried and I, you know, that probably is 50% of it. But again, maybe I'm naive, but I feel like all those conversations with the dad maybe got him reflecting and thinking like, well, is my marriage salvageable at all? 
well, probably not if she finds out about this. So, so maybe he was really trying to be better. What do you think? It might be both things at the same time where he does deep down inside want to make an effort. But maybe this isn't the first time this has happened to him where he basically says, what could I do? She just kept throwing herself at me, right? So I, I wonder if there's some aspect of that as well. And then, of course, the last thing we see is Tanya. She's looking for Greg. Greg's out on the patio. We see uh, the volcano erupting in the distance. Beautiful. Amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, but Greg is uh, talking to somebody saying, she's clueless as usual. And I love you. And I'll be home tomorrow. So do, do you think Tanya heard him? She doesn't seem like she could have actually heard. But I mean, she I know. I was thinking that right? glass should be thick enough that <laughs> right. she would not be able to hear him. Right. I think. But I have not really been in a situation myself where I'm trying to overhear someone on a terrace on a phone. So I don't right. know. With our conversation just now about his health, I'm wondering, like, I definitely at the time I heard it as someone he's in a romantic relationship with, Mm -hmm. but could it have been his sister or something? Do you remember the inflection of it? Did it seem more romantic or did it seem like it maybe could be a family member or somebody? Right. I was thinking the exact same thing at the moment. I'm like, aha, we caught him. Right. Right. But, um, I thought the same thing now, only in retrospect, as we started having this conversation and talking about like, wow, he seems kind of sincere earlier on. I was even thinking like, even, I mean, he's an older man. Does he have a child? Maybe he has, this is like a daughter. Mm. And he's saying like, I have news. Of course, she's clueless. She's up her own ass about this vacation. And it it could also just be like, I really want her to enjoy this vacation. It's the last trip we're going to take together. So I don't want it to be colored with this idea that I have six months to live. I don't know. I'm really just throwing stuff up against the wall here. Could it have been? I mean, in the moment, I definitely heard it as romantic, but now I'm really second guessing it. Yeah. Yeah. I have to rewatch that scene now because I've been thinking the same thing. And I think it's intentionally making us think right away, oh, this jerk, he's cheating on her, but maybe it's going to be a misread. I'll include it here so we can, uh, the listeners yeah. can have, make their own opinion. Yeah. She's clueless as usual. I'll be home tomorrow. Give you a call when I get in. All right. Yeah. I love you too. I look forward to it. Did he mention yeah. having a child last season? I feel like maybe he did, but I'm not positive. Yeah, I don't remember that. That's been quite some time, but I, I'll do my research and we can mm. circle back to that next week. In the scenes for next week, we see looks like a, more sex, lots of sex next week, <laughs> or at least a lot, <laughs> a lot of flirtation. Maybe not a lot of sex, I should say. Mm. Maybe a lot of flirtation. All that stuff, you know, women out in the town and flagging the guys over and playing coy that's just could be fun that might not be actual sex so we'll, we'll see how that all plays out in the post-show featurette uh this week we had will sharp and aubrey plaza interviewing each other and that was pretty funny you see once again some of the dynamic maybe that's how they get cast some of the same dynamic they have in the relationship play out here you get to hear will sharp's british accent if you want to hear that you get to hear that there uh it's kind of surprising you don't expect him to have one but he's a british actor uh in aubrey plaza's assessment of her own character she says that she has this brewing resentment that is starting to bubble over, which I thought was interesting because as I was watching this, because of that passive aggressiveness of Ethan, I'm like, is Ethan having this <laughs> brewing, <laughs> you know, um, antagonism bubbling over? And meanwhile, Harper, or I should say Aubrey Plaza, is analyzing her own character as saying that she does. So maybe they both do. <laughs> I agree. I, I watched that as well because I, I don't think I knew it was going to happen last week. So I just turned off the TV. But right, this week right. I left the TV on. And I, I wanted her to say more, like what resentment yes, over right, what? Right. 
now he's one of the rich and he doesn't like rich people like what what's happening i'm pretty sure they cut not having sex with her because she wants to have a kid i I don't know right i think they cut some of these conversations down because they don't want to have spoilers for the rest of the show maybe there was more to that interview and they just leave things as little teases without giving away because i felt the same thing about the conversation last week as well Hmm. But in that featurette, my favorite part is when they talk about when do you wake up in the morning? And Ari Plaza goes, really, I wake up whenever. It depends on how much I drank the night before. And then Will, Will Sharp says, well, I have young kids, so I have to wake up really early in the morning. And she's like, you do? How did I, how did I not know about this? <laughs> how am I just finding out about this now? <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Like, imagine like having all these intimate scenes with each other and like, still have like no idea what this person's home life is like. <laughs> yeah. All right. So real quick before we wrap up, what is your power ranking here for who's going to end up dead and uh, who is going to potentially be a murderer. Oh, and by the way, I rewatched the beginning of episode one. Did want to call this out. Mike White intentionally, and he writes all these episodes and directs them all once again, by the way, this season, I thought it would have more diversity in the creative forces, but it's pretty much the same. Intentionally leaving the dialogue vague, like he did multiple times throughout this course of these shows. Rocco says, one of the guests has drowned. That's when Valentina says, well, you know, we, you know, we're not, that, that's not our ter- territory, the, the sea. And he goes, well, other bodies have been found. And she goes, what are you saying? And he's like, I'm saying that other guests have been killed, have been killed. So I wonder about what that means. Have been killed. The does plural that guests. Guests have been killed. So does that so mean? So we're looking at three at least. Right. Well, and to that point, she goes, how many dead guests? And he says, and you, uh, right. A few. A few, <laughs> which literally would mean three, but you know we, that could be vague too. Who knows? There could be more bodies washing up. Meaning that you know we're not talking about one person killing one other person. This is bigger than that. So, yeah. but one person's drowned, so there's no beheading there, obviously. But we don't know how the other people were killed, right? So that is so. There's some ambiguity in the language there. So, given all that as context, who do you think is going to end up on this dead list? Daphne, absolutely not. <laughs> we could take her well, off. Well, definitely list. not Daphne. Yeah. You know, the thing is, especially because we haven't seen these groups interact with each other at all, in my mind, it needs to be one of these discrete groups. But of course, there's plenty of time left for them to meet each other and right. go on some excursion together yeah. and for things to turn ugly. I don't know. Yeah. But um, gosh, last week I thought it would be one of these, you know, some combination of these two couples. Obviously, not Daphne. Now I don't feel that way this week. And I hope it's not Lucia and or her friend, Mia. And now they're officially guests now, right? So that could right. be. Right. So yeah, they're, they're that's what I'm reflecting on. Mm-hmm. Right. But I feel like it could be. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it's Dara Dahl. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't think it's Portia. I feel like they've got too much invested in Jennifer Coolidge to kill her off. But right. maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, so it's just like she does talk about jumping off the balcony in this episode. True. So maybe some kind of foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> right. She finds out that the husband is going to die and she says, what's the point of living? I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> I feel to, to your point, I feel like, no, now that you've made a pattern in episode one, season one and season two, they're going to have to bring her back unless all that is a fake out. Like they're going to everyone's going to think like, well, she can't possibly die. She's going to be in all of these. Right. So it could all be. Uh, you know, part of the game. So right now, last week, I thought some combination in those two couples. This week, I feel, unfortunately, I'm feeling like a Lucia, Dominic Mm. situation. Yes, I feel exactly the same way. I agree. Yeah. I was unfortunately thinking that it could be because they say that someone drowned and I'm imagining, well, the killer could be the person who drowned, right? Because they might have drowned Mm -hmm, in mm -hmm. the aftermath of the killing. And that's my, the scenario I thought of is, 
what if he loses it uh, with these girls, kills intentionally or unintentionally kills Lucia and Mia and then drowns. So that was the dynamic I was considering as well. I hope not though. Do love Lucia and Yeah, same. Hope not. Yeah. Mm. So only one who's safe is Daphne. And I assume it's not anyone in that quartet, like you said, because I think Daphne would be way more freaked out. I mean, she's freaked out, but she's just like saying like, oh my God, oh my God, like get somebody, you know, she's not saying right. like, that's my husband. Oh my God. How? You know, right. like we're trying to, you know, imagine that's your husband floating in the water. You probably right. want to grab them out of the water. You wouldn't want to just run away from them. Right. So right. Uh, it doesn't seem like the reaction of someone who's seeing someone they know intimately. Yeah. So I think that does it for now. And check out anytime this week, I think it's available already. Don't worry, darling. I'm curious to get your feel for that movie. Mm -hmm. It's not good, but it has very good parts. That's what I heard. (laughs) But it has very good parts. And once again, I really want to have a conversation about that twist and see like what you think they could have fixed in that show. Like anyway, it's, it's an interesting stew of good and bad ideas. So I'm curious to get your read on it. And maybe we'll talk about that next week for a few minutes as well. Sounds good. All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.